What up, world? Pass first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's show is the latest edition of Mailbag Monday, a weekly show in which we answer listener-submitted questions all episode long. If you want to get involved with Mailbag Monday, there's two ways to do it. First, just tweet at me. My handle on Twitter is Mike G. Rich. You can just send me a tweet whenever you're thinking of a question. Or you can wait for Monday mornings around 9 a.m. Pacific time when I send out a tweet soliciting questions. You respond to that one, I'll get you in the show. If you're not a Twitter user or just someone who doesn't tweet, you can just email the show. LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com is the address. That's LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. If you want to write a little bit longer or you just don't want to use the Twitter application, that's a great way to get involved. You send me a note there and I'll get you in the show. Simple as that. We do this every week, off-season, post-season, regular season. Mailbag Monday lives on. So without further ado, let's get into it. This first question comes from James in Beaverton who asks, Daryl Morey was recently hired by the Philadelphia 76ers. If he had agreed to the president of basketball operations position with the Trailblazers instead, what do you think he would do with our team? I think he tends to aim at the best team in the league and figure out a way to build around the team's best player in a way that would be a direct challenge to that team. To me, that would mean packaging CJ, a youngin, and picks to retrieve a solid all-star wing like Ben Simmons or Chris Middleton. What do you think? I do think Daryl Morey tends to... Um, take risks and try to build championships. I think he I think he's I think he has a pretty, you know, pivoting from Yao Ming and Tracy McGrady, a team that was if been healthy, probably a championship caliber team to to various versions of teams with James Harden without bottoming out is just proof that he's a guy who's going to take risks and willing to make uh, big splashes, break up his roster, all of those things. I'm not sure he so much tailors his team around the best team in the league and takes them down as he just tailors the his team around his star player. When it was Yao and Tracy McGrady, that's who they were. It didn't matter necessarily that Tim Duncan and the Spurs and were the best teams in the league at that time. Uh, I didn't it the Warriors just so happened to be the team that the Rockets were chasing, but I think they went small and then super small micro ball because of James Harden and then because of Russell Westbrook. So, I think I think you're right in that Maury would try to build around stars, but he's his whole thing with is just an obsessive obsessive pursuit of star players. So I guess where I'm I don't really follow you is that maybe yeah he tries to trade CJ a young a young player and picks to retrieve a solid all star like wing, but that's not gonna that's just not that's that isn't that simple. The Philly isn't going to trade Ben Simmons for a. 29-year-old C.J. McCollum and Amphrey Simons and a couple mid-round draft picks. Same with Milwaukee. Uh, Maury is a great trader, a brave trader, and one of the one of the great team architects in the league. Uh, I, I would say he's pretty much clearly better at the job than Neil Olshay is, but he's not working magic. He's not just fooling players into thinking the Blazers roster is better than it is, the Blazers' parts is better than they are. He's The Blazers don't have this package to get a natural all-star wing. It's just, it doesn't exist. Maury or Maury or whatever is not going to make CJ McCollum's trade value different. That's not how it works. But yeah, sure, I think he would help the team. Next question comes from Matthew at Revan Romulus on Twitter who asks, 
Is the team more likely to trade up in this draft or trade out completely? And which non-Dame, CJ, or Nurk player has the highest likelihood of being traded before next season starts? So I think the Blazers are much more likely to trade up in the draft than trade out completely. That's not based on any intel or any any reporting I've done, just based on their track record, what they've done as a as a team to this point. They've they have um they have mostly gone they have they haven't always traded up, but they have they haven't traded out of many drafts unless it is to get an obvious upgrade um, like a Mason Plumley in that draft where they sort of they traded out of their first round pick to get another player in a rookie scale deal. So I think it's more likely they trade up than out completely, but I think they use their pick. Um, it's just what Neil does. Which non-Dame CJ Nurk player is likely to get traded? I'm going to go with Trevor Reza. Um, again, this is based on Neil's sort of style. Uh, he tra- he likes to trade guys in the last year of their contract, mostly because those guys are tradable. Other teams don't want, you know, a long, long tail on a lot of, on a lot of players. They want to have a, a sort of a short-term rental type thing, and maybe they get out from under some money or, or vice versa. So yeah, I think Trevor Reason is $12 million contract, most likely to be traded. It just makes the most sense. $12 million is, is easier to, it's just a sort of those mid-range contracts, easier to put in deals to get, um, to make stuff happen. And with, it having only one year left, it's more palatable for people on the return. Next question comes from Thomas Cogswell at Thomas Cogswell on Twitter, who asks, what is the best case scenario for the Blazers use of the mid-level exception, i.e. the most optimal player you think they could acquire with the MLE? Mid-level exception is the exception given to teams that are over the salary cap but under the luxury tax, which is looking like it's going to be a whole bunch of teams the way the uh, the year's about to shake out, the finances of this year are about to shake out. It's going to be about $9.3 million. You can split it up. You can use it all as on one player, and their salary starts at $9.3 million and escalates five-year uh, increments. You can sign up to a four-year deal. So it's like a $30 million contract all, when it's all said and done. That would be if you give the absolute full MLE to someone. Uh, I don't anticipate the Blazers giving a four-year, $30 million contract to anyone on this market considering um, the team's finances and the recent actions of ownership that has sort of maybe tended towards being cheaper. But I think the most optimal player I can think of that would be available at the MLE would be Jay Crowder. There's some other names I like more. Jeremy Grant maybe Christian Wood, but I think both those guys are going to make a little bit more money than that. So for me, I think Jay Crowder is 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 a really nice, nice piece at that price at about, you know, maybe like two for 18 for, for Jay Crowder. Uh, is, is, is he going to choose that over staying in Miami with a team that just made the championship and an estate that does not have income tax? Oh boy, seems unlikely. But I think Jay Crowder would be a really nice fit. Could play three or the four three or the four can shoot plays hard is a is a is a natural role player isn't going to come in and need the ball he's going to come in and be a complimentary part um i like him i I liked him for a long time um i think he was better in miami than he had been in memphis and i even liked him in memphis too but maybe jay crowder maybe that's maybe you don't like that so i'll give you some other options what if you split it up a little bit Derek jones for say seven and a half million and then the rest of the MLE, but above the minimum for Rondé Hollis Jefferson. You get two long three, four types. Rondé Hollis Jefferson even played a little bit of small ball five for the Raptors last year. He's probably more of a five than a four, even though he's not very big. But um, that gives you length. It gives you defense, gives you some versatility. Both those guys can do some stuff, even though neither of them can shoot. 
You don't like you don't like DJJ and RHJ? Well, I got another one for you with less initials. How about Markeef Morris? And then the remainder of the MLE for Willie Colley Stein. Keefe is probably more of a four than a three, but the Blazers don't really have many power forwards on the roster. He'd be he could probably plug in right away and start at power forward for this team. And Willie Colley Stein, he might end up being a minimum center, but I'm I'm saying part of the MLE to give him more than the minimum. Um and, you know, I'm assuming something like $6 million for Markeith Morris and then $3.5 million, $3.3 million for Willie Cauley-Stein. Uh, Willie Cauley-Stein has some real issues, um, but he's a valuable rim-running big with length who can be an okay defender, although sometimes he's terrible at it. But yeah, I, um, I think those are um, three, three ideas for the MLE that I would call close to optimal. But I don't know if there is one. I don't... Uh, it's all it's all difficult when you're dealing with an exception that basically every other team in the league has. You're you're just you don't have a real advantage. Next question comes from Jacob Jacob Rosenblum, Jazz and Jake at Jazz and Jake on Twitter, who asks, "What are other teams are competing with the Blazers to grab a wing during the draft? I.e., who might grab Sadiq Bay before the Blazers?" So I've been doing these draft profiles. I've done five so far, and I got more coming this week. But the first one I did was my preferred pick for the Blazers at number 16, 6'8 wing out of Villanova, Sadiq Bay. If you want to hear more on the breakdown of Bay, check your feeds. It's in there. It's from, it's a couple weeks ago. Like I said, more draft profiles coming, and I've profiled other wings. But who are other teams that might draft Sadiq Bay? Here's the thing about the NBA. Everybody's looking for a good wing. So almost everyone in the first 15 picks, right? I don't think... I don't. I think reasonably the highest that I could see Bay going, just based on the research I've done about the draft, and obviously there's always surprises every year. It's probably about ten, but I pretty much think everyone in ten to fifteen is likely to take a wing and could very well take Sadiq Bay off the board. Phoenix at ten, Atlanta at eleven, Sacramento at twelve, New Orleans at thirteen, Boston at fourteen, Orlando at fifteen. All of those teams, every single one of those teams, could be it could be in the market for Sadiq Bay. Nobody. There's no one in the league, there's no one building a roster right now that says, I think we have enough six foot eight dudes who can shoot. That's just, that. that is not how the league works. Um, there are other players maybe better than Bay and maybe have a much higher ceiling and perhaps teams like Phoenix and, and particularly Atlanta are looking for guys who have a higher ceiling. They don't need right away type players or even like um, sort of low, high floor guys. They want to say, let's Let's try to get the absolute the guy who could be a star. So maybe they're drafting for a guy with much more upside than Bay, and I think that's why he could slip down to sixteen. Is that he doesn't he doesn't profile as a star? But I think all of those teams right in that range, those five picks leading up to the Blazers at sixteen, could be in the market for 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 a wing, and could and that wing could very well be Sadiq Bay. All right, let's come back in the second segment, answer more of your questions. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about Built Go. That's right. From the good people who make Built Bar, we got Built Go. It's the best workout gel on the market. It's basically a healthy replacement for your energy drink, but the energy isn't fake, so it's lasting and natural. And what it's going to do is it's going to help you break through your wall. I've tried Built Go. helps me break through my wall. I work a full day at my day job. Then I got to bring you guys 25 minutes of high-quality audio content. Well, I'm, I'm grabbing a built go and I'm breaking through my wall. I want to work out maybe after after my uh, uh, podcast and I haven't had built go yet. Well, I'm grabbing that one after I provide 25 minutes of high quality audio content to my dear listeners. I'm eating a built go. I'm crushing a workout. Built go comes in these easy 
to take with you, easy to tote around, one and a half ounce packages. You can put it in your back pocket. You can put it in your bag and get on with your day. It comes in three delicious flavors. That's peanut butter, honey, chocolate, coconut, and my personal favorite, chocolate mint. Like I said, it's kind of like five-hour energy without the same crash feeling. And it's natural, so it's better for your body. Natural, you say? What What do you mean? And how does it work so well, Michael? Well, here's how. It's because it combines energy gel with collagen protein. And collagen protein is fast-absorbing, so it gets in your system fast, and it won't mess up your stomach. It's, it won't, it's not going to make you feel bad. It's going to make you feel like you're ready to break through your wall. It's loaded with other good stuff to ignite your work, too, like beta-alanine, B3, and honey, and a kick of caffeine. It's like 100 milligrams of caffeine, a little bit less than... Uh, standard cup of coffee, but enough to get you going and then keep you going because it's got stuff like B6 and B12, 10,000% of your daily percentage of B12, whole bunch in there, sustain that energy, break through your wall. You want to break through your wall? You want to try this great workout gel? Well, go to builtgo.com and use the promo code LOCKED. You'll get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKED for 20% off at builtgo.com. Let's go. All right, let's keep it rolling on Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Cannon from Gmail who asks, is now the time to move on from Zach Collins and try to get some value out of him? Or do we trust Neil, stick with it, and hope he develops into what the Blazers need? So I think there's 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 some problems here with the logic. Um, I don't know how much trade value Zach Collins has right now. You know, he played he played a little bit at the end of his rookie career, rookie career, his end of his rookie season, and he was useful. Um, he was the best bet for the Blazers in the playoffs when they got absolutely thrashed by the New Orleans Hornets. Uh, he was a valuable big man as a rookie right away as a 20-year-old. In year two, he kind of struggled after a hot start, um, and then the Blazers chose to go in another direction and signed Ennis Cantor and kind of just ate into Zach Collins' minutes. Um it didn't totally work out that way because uh, Yusuf Nurkic got hurt and, and Collins was, was thrust back into the rotation. But the Blazers kind of had seemed like they had planned to move on from Collins a little bit and add a veteran for a team that they felt like could be, um, you know, challenged for a Western Conference final spot. Somehow they still ended up challenging for a Western Conference final spot. And Zach Collins had some bright moments in the playoffs. But then it was year three and it was you know, bright moments at the end of year one, some some ups and downs in year two, but year three, he was ready to take hold and be this be the guy, got hurt three games into the season, came back, never got right from an ankle injury he had suffered in the summer, and then, um, you know, was headed for headed for surgery on that same ankle. And he just he just hasn't shown it yet. So I kind of feel like the the team that has the highest the team that values Zach Collins the most is the Blazers. So I don't think there's a lot of trade value to get from him. Like, I don't think now you, if you traded Zach Collins now, I believe you're trading low on his value. Now, if you wait and you sign him to a contract extension, totally changes the equation because all of a sudden you're talking, asking a team or a trade partner that to say, Hey, will you commit three or four years to Zach Collins at this price? So I understand the urgency to do it now, but I'm not sure that there is, um, I'm not sure that there's this big, sexy market for Zach Collins outside of Portland. I think Neil Olshay values him more than any other GM in the league at this point. To that point, though, Sir Wheezy at Wheezy Sir on Twitter asks, Recently, Zach Lowe and Bobby Marks on their ESPN podcast discussed a sign-and-trade for Gordon Hayward. The deal essentially involves Zach Collins, Trevor Reese, and Rodney Hood for Gordon Hayward. 
Hayward would have to decline his player option and agree to sign a contract in the 25 to 28 million range. What are your thoughts? So I know that I've just seen on the internet, this is like I'm judging from like my Twitter feed, that I don't think I don't think people like Gordon Hayward. And I don't particularly care for him as like a dude. I don't think me and him align. Me and, me and him aren't necessarily simpatico on our views of the world. Um, but I don't give a crap about that when you're building a basketball team. A six eight if, if Gordon Hayward's healthy, he's six foot eight, he can handle the ball, he can shoot, he can score, he's an okay defender. He's exactly what the Blazers need. And for the price of Collins, Ariza, who's a, who's a one-year rental anyways, and, and Rodney Hood coming off an Achilles injury, I will take Gordon Hayward. Sure, committing 25 or $28 million to a dude with a sketchy uh, injury history, and uh, maybe you're locked into a core of Dame, CJ, Gordon Hayward, and Nurk, is, you might be a little bit worried about that if you're viewing some sort of like wholesome 10-year plan of building a Blazers. But you will recall, if you've listened to this podcast before, that I don't give a shit about year five. I want the Blazers to maximize being good in years, the next two seasons, right? Like you want to be as good as you possibly can before Damian Lillard turns 33. And Gordon Hayward would be a massive upgrade um, over those guys. If the price is essentially Collins and two okay wings for a big upgrade at the wing and a guy who could play a little bit of four and you could figure it out. I'm doing it. I like it. I'm not sure I like Gordon Hayward though. Next question comes from Taylor from Gmail who asks, in the last pod, you address how the Blazers could use established NBA players more than they could use picks or young guys waiting to pop. Remember my last question where I did a swear? Well, it's the same deal. Taylor continues. When you said that, I thought of a trade with the San Antonio Spurs. If there's a team who should blow it up, it's probably them. And if there's a team who can offer them young picks, it's us. Collective pronouns. Love to see it. Also, with Aldridge saying he wants to come back, why wait? I know the money doesn't fit unless you include Nurk or CJ, but can you make a hypothetical trade? Yeah. LaMarcus Aldridge for CJ McCollum straight up. It's bad for both teams. <laughs> Makes the Blazers a little bit worse. And it, the the sort of rebuilding uh, Spurs get a 29-year-old who's has four years remaining on his contract at like $30 million per Here's the thing. I think LaMarcus Aldridge could return to the Blazers. Dame wants it to happen. He wants it to happen. But the money just doesn't work out this year. And let me back up a little bit. If there's a team who can offer young prospects and picks, it's us. No, the Blazers can't. Who do they have that is really desirable on the open market? Gary Trent Jr.? Yeah. Gary Trent Jr., but is he, does he project as an all-star anywhere in the future? Or does he just look like a really dogged, good rotation player? Like, are people trading for young Danny Green? Like, was young Danny Green really moving the needle? I don't know. Blazers don't have a ton of second-round picks. They've got a bunch of first-round picks in their future, but they have been um, they've been hesitant to move those and moving those for LaMarcus Aldridge in the final year of his deal, all those things. I just, I don't think the Blazers have picks and young players to include in trades. This would be, I would be having different podcast sessions if I believe that. I just don't think the Blazers have that type of ammo. Um, it's hard to get LaMarcus back. It'd be, it would be a great story if he were to come home, but uh, the, the math just doesn't favor it. All right, next question comes from 
SSTB at SSTB93 on Twitter who asks, what do you think about a trade for CJ for Drew Holiday? It's obvious that we won't trade CJ, but I think that would make sense in a parallel universe. Huge impact on our defense and the Pelicans would get an experienced scoring option. Yeah, I like the trade for the Pelicans. I think CJ is an upgrade for them a little bit, although they're really bad on defense. And adding CJ to the mix might make them even worse. Um, but they're already really bad with Drew Holiday, so what, what difference does it make, right? My concern for the Blazers with this trade, I like Drew Holiday. Let me say that. Let me be up front. I think he's really good. But I think you're giving up so much individual offense in that straight-up swap that the Blazers would take a step back. They, you got to think, like, when CJ's, when Dame's off the floor, where do they get offense from? Sure, they have a bunch of players who can score, but they kind of need someone to take attention and just to be able to go get a bucket on their own, create on their own. Drew is not that. He has never been capable of being a number one option on offense. And quite frankly, when you ask him to carry a big load on defense, he's much better as a third or fourth option offensively. Um, I think I worry that the Drew for CJ swap is too much of a step back offensively for the Blazers, that the trade off on defense isn't quite worth it. Next question comes from Tamtarius the Greek at Tam the Greek on Twitter who asks, Seeing the reports about the Clippers, I wonder, could the backup PG the Blazers want be Pat Bev, Patrick Beverly? He fits really well as the third guard. Could our guards look past their history and welcome him? Real, recognize, real. And then Tam DeGreek sent me a screenshot of a trade. If you had just said, do you like Patrick Beverly? I would have said, yeah, he's pretty good. You know, he's pretty good. Um, but then you sent me this screenshot. Let me read you the trade. It was sent to me. Trevor Ariza, Gary Trent Jr., and Nazir Little in exchange for Patrick Beverly, Rodney Magruder, and a 2020 second-round pick. Tam, I love you, but I got to hit you with that Bishop Bullwinkle. Look, I cannot condone a trade that gives away the Blazers' starting small forward, their best guard off the bench, a first-round pick that we really haven't seen enough of in exchange for a 34-year-old backup point guard. The best case for, for Patrick Beverly is that he's a backup, and you have now traded your starting small forward who saved the season on a team des totally desperate for wings, the young guard in Gary Trent Jr. who is in line to play a ton of minutes at small forward and save the season in the bubble, and Nazir Little, a first-round draft pick who you gotta hope turns into a real NBA player for 34-year-old Patrick Beverly. And I know what you're thinking, Tam. You're saying, dog, I threw in Rodney Magruder. And to that I say, cool. Rodney Magruder ain't doing it for me. He ain't moving the needle. That's a Bishop Bullwinkle. Hell nah. All right, I'm worked up. I'm worked. I got I got worked up by the trade machine. Let's go to the third segment. And close out the show. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. Still listening to Locked On Blazers. Still rolling through Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Matthew at Reverend Romulus, who asks. Soon after this pod drops, we will all realize that I've been elected the next president of the United States. Thank you for your vote. Now that I am the leader of the free world, which Blazers, past and present, should I add to my cabinet and to which roles? So I just went with present trailblazers. Um, we're in a time crunch, Matthew. I, I, can't, I, I can't give you um, 10 minutes on cabinet advice, but I'm going to go with your vice president. It should be CJ McCollum. I assume you that's not really a cabinet member. It's more someone you run with. But I assume you're going to run uh, for office with CJ McCollum because variety of reasons. One, 
He's used to being a number two. He's already settled into that position as in, in the supportive role. And also, I think that he has, um, in his role as, as a number two, he's able to just have his own interests, develop his own things. He does, CJ is an, is is not living under Dame's shadow. He's merely a supportive part, living his own best life. So CJ, great vice president. I'm going to go secretary of education, Carmelo Anthony. He's, he's wise. He loves dispensing uh, knowledge to the youths. And listen, we need, we need our American education system needs help. And I trust Mello to provide that help. And then my final pick for your cabinet, I'm not giving you all 13 cabinet members, sorry, but my final pick for your cabinet and this is so corny, I'm, I'm like mad at myself looking at the word doc right now. But Department of Transportation, I'm picking Damian Lillard because he's familiar with having things travel efficiently from long distances. That's a joke about 37-footers. It's not good. I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed to read my notes here. Let's move on. This next question comes from Jared Tarnaski at J on Twitter who asks, if there was a serum available for one player that you could add six inches of height, wingspan, and reach, which Blazer would see the biggest jump in their on-court production by taking it? So a lo- lot of options here. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of options. But I think just in the spirit of how the NBA works, I think the most value you get for this is Damian Lillard. You can make a case for CJ. You could make a pretty compelling case for either Nazir Little or Gary Trent Jr. I think particularly Gary Trent Jr. You can make a pretty good case in my mind for uh, of Nurkic being 7-6 with like a 11-foot standing reach. Like he, that, would, that would be a really powerful player. But for my money, I think, I think the most value is turning Damian Lillard into Kevin Durant. I think Damian Lillard goes from one of the 10 best players in the NBA to one of the 15 best players of all time if he's 6'9". Imagine this dude at 6'9", except that he can pull up from 40 feet. But when he gets into the paint, he isn't Damian Lillard's size where he has to you know, twist and contort and always go left. He can just cram on fools. I think you change the Blazers from pretty good team to elite super team, like uh, to, to, to like potential second best team in the West, potential championship favorite, certainly one of the favorites if Damian Lillard is six foot nine. Um, you know, Kevin Durant is a first ballot Hall of Famer and probably one of the 15 best players of all time. And I really do think a six foot nine Damian Lillard is, is like right there as one of the elite scorers in the history of the game if he's that size. Okay, next question comes from Jacob Rosenblum at Jazz and Jake on Twitter, who you might remember from the first segment, who asks, what are the advantages and disadvantages of a big who can take the ball down the floor? You talked about in the past about a four with point guard skills. Uh, I don't think there's a lot of disadvantages in the abstract. Uh, the league is just heading in a direction that if you are bigger and more skilled, you're more valuable. I mean, it's just size is not going out of style. Maybe teams want to be um, smaller and at at instead of having centers, they want everyone to be six foot nine. But they, it's like they want everyone to be six foot nine. Like that's that's the best. You just you just want to be big, like being having everyone on your team being six five to six six ten is more valuable than um, sort of like a big a big bruising seven footer. So you know any time you have a power forward with point guard skills, that's going to be valuable. That's always valuable in the league. I think particularly disadvantage for the Blazers is that Damian Lillard has not shown a willingness to be an off the ball player. Uh, they've tried it with Evan Turner. They tried it with Mario Hazonia, who's not good. Evan Turner was kind of good, but also not good. Um, they've they've tried it with other point guards in the past. Think like 
Steve Blake or Mo Williams. Uh, shout out to Eric Maynard. But um, those guys are point guards. But they've tried to move Dame off the ball, and he's just not comfortable with it. He's maybe the best pick-and-roll point guard in the league, and so he just wants to run pick-and-rolls. He doesn't want to get off the ball and cut and be Steph Curry. He just wants to say, give me the ball. I can put my imprint on the game if it's in my hands, and if it's not in my hands, it's too hard. So I think the disadvantage for the, specifically for the Blazers is that when you give when you have another guy who wants to dribble and make plays with the ball in his hands, you don't have it's the ball isn't in your best player's hands or your second best player's hands, and then it becomes um, then the sort of puzzle pieces get hard to put together because Damian Lillard wants to get the ball above the above the arc and attack, survey and attack, and when you take him out of his comfort zone, it's you're, he's out of his comfort zone. Simple as that. Next question comes from Pete Paranormal at Bob underscore Deager on Twitter, who asks, I haven't heard any word about Nazir Little's health since the playoffs. Do you have any information about whether he has fully recovered or if his fainting and practice was related to more than just dehydration? So I don't. Um, obviously, he suffered a concussion before he fainted due to dehydration. So there's, it's like you can maybe connect the dots that he was still still dealing with some sort of like post-concussion type things. But we don't know, and they call it dehydration. And so maybe you... I guess it makes more sense just to trust the Blazers if they say he fainted due to dehydration and then they were worried about him and, you know, ruled him out for a week. I guess you trust him. Doesn't doesn't totally align for me, but I don't I, there's no real value in saying that they're lying without more details. And I certainly don't have those. But in terms of his health, he's back and working out. Um, he's tweeted about it a couple times. He's posted on Instagram. He's back in the gym. He's he's playing again. Um, I would consider him fully recovered and ready to go. Next question comes from Jared Tarnaski at Tarnaski J from Twitter, who you might remember from earlier in this same segment. Jared asks, if Damian Lord had attended the University of North Carolina, how would that have affected his draft position? Well, for one, he would have gotten the boost that you get when you earn the undying love of North Carolina superfan Mike G. Rich. He would have been a Tar Heel for life. I would have been repping him like I'm repping, like I'm name dropping Danny Green and John Henson on here and Dante Calabria and Anton Jameson like a name dropping Kenny Smith. Shout out to Eric Montross. Shout out George Lynch. Shout out to Serge Zwicker. Terrence Newby. Shout out to Brad Darty. Honestly, Brad Darty is the best Carolina basketball player y'all don't know about. Google Brad Darty. Okay, that wasn't the question. I got lost. So how would it affect Damian Lillard's draft stock? So one thing, I think that the University of North Carolina Jabal Hill would have won the NCAA title his, the year he came out. Um, if you will recall, that Carolina team featured M four NBA players in the starting lineup. Reggie Bullock, Harrison Barnes, John Henson, and Tyler Zeller. Uh, at point guard, they had Kendall Marshall, who was the 13th pick in the NBA draft that year. Uh Kendall Marshall broke his wrist during the NCAA tournament and Carolina lost in the final four to Kansas. But if they had a, uh, if Kendall Marshall had either been the backup um, to Damian Lillard or the starter and Damian Lillard was the backup, they would have had a damn good backup point guard in a Roy Williams offense. So I think they would have won the national championship. That means they would have beat that Anthony Davis, Michael Kidd, Gilchrist, Marcus Teague squad. Take that, go Tar Heels. I mean, maybe not, but they would have played in the championship against that team and, and Dame would have played in the national championship game and that's going to boost his stock. But when you look at the 2012 draft, um, it's a little bit dicey in the first few picks in terms of maybe how much it would have raised Dame's stock. So he's not getting he's not getting drafted over Anthony Davis. That doesn't change. The Pelicans are still taking Davis. New Orleans has taken Anthony Davis number one. Even when Carolina wins that championship, hangs the banner and we stick it to Calipari, collective pronoun, y'all, um, 
I don't think that changes. Anthony Davis was freaking Bill Russell in college. He's kind of Bill Russell again in the NBA now. Um, he was the right pick of the time and would have been still even if Dame had worn Carolina blue. So maybe he goes second to Charlotte because of MJ and um, the Hornets drafting Michael Kidd Gilchrist instead. But Charlotte had just drafted Kimball Walker, so maybe they don't take a point guard. So if he doesn't go two, maybe he goes three to the Cavaliers who took Deion Waiters. But the Cavs had Kyrie Irving, so do you draft another point guard? Ugh, I don't know. So then maybe he goes four to the Wizards who took Brad Beal, but the Wizards already had John Wall, so ugh, I don't know. So it's the Kings. It's the Kings. It's the Kings at five. The Kings should have drafted Damian Lillard all along, but they're the Kings, and that's what they do. They just screw things up. They took Thomas Robinson instead because they were reportedly worried about losing Jason Thompson in free agency. That's right. They drafted Thomas Robinson because they were worried about losing Jason Thompson. Neither of those gentlemen in, are in the NBA. Damian Lillard is the best point guard in the league. The Kings at the time had Tyreek Evans, who played point guard. Isaiah Thomas, who they gave up on and turned into a very good player in Phoenix and Boston right after that. The Kings are the Kings. They might have screwed it up. But I think what happens if Damian Lillard had gone to UNC, had been on a big stage, had been all those things that, and we're assuming he stays all four years in this scenario because it's too confusing to figure out otherwise uh i think he go he moves up one spot goes to the kings starts his career in Sacktown, where he's loyal to the soil because that's who dame is and he's like a career king and it's really sad because the kings are a screwed up franchise and dame just won't ever divorce them okay last question of the show comes from ryan at our 27 on twitter who asks thoughts on stats it's terry stats y'all player coach but is he part of the problem? I think that means players coach, but is he part of the problem? Also, how much does he how much say does he have in trades? Let me answer the last one first. Almost none. Terry Stotts coaches the team on game days. He does not he does not weigh in on draft stuff. In fact, I don't think I know for a fact he doesn't really watch college basketball. He lets Neil do the scouting, Neil do the trades. Neil do Neil, that's Neil's world. What Terry does is wait till he has the roster in front of him and then he picks what they do. He basically decides who's on the court with Dame. That's the job. Uh, I don't want to reduce his job to maybe that simple. That's probably rude, but like he's not he's not a personnel guy. Other coaches are more involved with personnel. That's not what Terry does. There's um that's that is a front office thing and he stays out of it. And I Personally, I think the division of power makes more sense in the league um, when those when those offices blend over in organizations. Unless you're Greg Popovich, it is often it is often a dicey thing. Like it's often a little bit messy. So I think it's better that he doesn't. But is is Stotts part of the problem? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Part of Terry Stotts is stubborn. The word I've used a bunch of times is obdurate. He wants to do what he wants to do. The Blazers play a certain way, and he's pretty slow to change things. He's slow to change the starting lineup. I've always said he kind of stays with things a beat longer than you would want. It's not that he won't change. It's that you're like, man, I wish he would change it. And then he does. It's just, it's a little, It's he's just slow to do stuff. He sticks with his defensive coverages even when they don't work. He's like, I want to play drop coverage. I want to I want to drop the big men. And then Blazers get just absolutely lit up in drop coverage for an entire half before things change, or maybe sometimes an entire game before things change in game two of the playoffs. So I think his stubbornness is a problem. He's He wants to play a certain way and he wants to do things, but I also think that when we are critical of the way Terry Stotts coaches, and I think it's fair to be, 
I'm not saying that it's not fair to be. I think he's, I don't think he had his best season this season, but I also think he had a crappy roster to work with. But I also think you have to consider how much influence Damian Lillard has on personnel, which he does. He makes, he, I don't, he doesn't make the decisions, but he's consulted. And I would, um, I would argue that he's consulted significantly more, like a thousand percent more than Terry Stotts is in terms of, um, in terms of personnel decisions, things run through Dame. That's how the franchise works. And also he wants to play a certain way. He wants the ball in his hands. He wants to run high pick and rolls. He's, he, you say, how come Dame and Terry Stotts can't figure out trapping defenses in the playoffs? Well, because Dame wants to play a certain way. He doesn't want to get off the ball. He doesn't, it's not that he doesn't necessarily have trust in guys. It's just that he has a trust in himself. He wants to do, he's, he too is stubborn and he has got a lot of success that says maybe being stubborn is okay. I think Stotts is certainly part of the problem, but I also don't think he is the thing that's holding the Blazers back. And if you think that there is a coach out there that would significantly change this team's fate, you might be correct. But I have a hard time pegging a specific thing that Terry does wrong other than just be a little bit stubborn with adjustments, a little bit slow to adjust on things. Do I think that that is the difference in the Blazers winning an NBA title over the last three seasons? Hell no. Hell to the naw, as my good friend Bishop Bullwinkle says. But I think the Blazers could be better. I think Stotts could be better, and he probably knows it. Um, the offense has been humming with Stotts involved, and the defense, when they've had better defenders, has been respectable. If the defense is really bad again this year, I'll start banging the drum that maybe Terry Stotts isn't the guy. Um, but until then... If you give a guy a bad defensive team and then get mad when they rank 27th in defense, you're just not you're just you're not connecting the dots very well here. If they're healthy and this team still is a bottom 5 defensive team this year, let's talk. I'll be happy to tell you that Terry Stotts hasn't done a good job. But for right now for me, I think for the most part he's like if you look at his total body of work, he's mostly overachieved with this team. And while they have had some moments where they've come up short in the playoffs, I think for the most part, when you look at each season sort of in a sort of in a standalone vacuum, that's a very Neil thing to say. But if you if you take each season on its own, for the most part, Terry Stotts has overachieved and the Blazers have been pretty competitive sometimes with a roster that you wouldn't have guessed would have gotten there. He's got his own faults, but I think we need to think in some ways about Damian Lillard and Terry Stotts as a unit. Not that Terry and Dame don't make decisions independent of one another, but sometimes the way this team has failed is both an indictment of Dame and Terry's stubbornness collectively and independently. And the same way when this team has succeeded, it might be because both coach and star player have sort of aligned to make push the right buttons, both strategically and emotionally. Both things can be true. Terry Stotts can be an imperfect coach who has been largely good with obvious areas that need to be improved. I'm generally patient with coaches. I think coaches can improve. I think you see it across the league. Sometimes just a little slight tweaks in personnel make a coach look good again. I think Terry, for the most part, has looked good. And I'm ready to say an upgraded roster and a healthier roster gives him a long runway this year to figure it out. That's going to do it for Mailbag Monday. Thanks so much for contributing. That's those who listen and those who send in questions. 
We do this each week, so if you want to get involved, tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich, or send me an email, lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com is the address. We've got more draft profiles coming out this week. Be sure to check those. There's five, like I said, five waiting in your feed and more to come. About two weeks away from the NBA draft as we build up to it with more coverage. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can get it wherever they already listen to podcasts. Just search Lockdown Blazers. We'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.